0: It's so good to be uh, here with you. Thank you, Doug, for um, introducing me. And uh, really, this is our family's church home, so it's always good to be home. And um, I know that uh, often we don't get to be here physically because um, of what I do. And uh, just recently, I I finished a stint in Stony Creek, helping out a church out there for uh, almost a year. And then, of course, you know, through... COVID and lockdowns and etc. I mean, we've been present online, but just uh, it's great to be here uh, physically and uh, be God's body, right? God's community together. Well, it's my privilege to kick off this sermon series, as Doug said, on uh, Paul's letter of Galatians. I, uh, I have taught Paul's letters at Master's College and Seminary for 21 years, Maybe they need to take up an offering for me, too, at the school. What do you think? <laughs> I think I've put in my time, don't you think? Well, you know, God has been faithful, and uh, the Lord has uh, shared uh, to me insights in those letters that uh, I've been slowly. I mean, I, I had hoped now that I would have had about four or five books out, but uh, the way life is, um, this is kind of the second book in the Humanity series that I had uh, envisioned. Um, And a free humanity is about exactly that, becoming the free humanity that God created us to be. And uh, in this series, we're going to look at what it actually means to be free. Now, there's a lot of talk, and there's been a lot of talk lately on freedom. Uh, Goodness sake, uh, you know, you'd have to be asleep or cryogenically preserved if you don't realize freedom is such an incredible topic front and center today. And, uh, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of choice, freedom convoys, you name it, freedom has been all over the place. But what does it actually mean now to be free as a follower of Jesus and that's really what we're getting into in the letter of Galatians. And Paul is going to make it very clear about what this freedom actually looks like. Well, uh, how many of you are kind of in your 20s in the crowd? Just kind of put, I'm, I'm not, yeah, just kind of put your hand up in your 20s. I mean, I'm 20 in my brain right? But when I look at the mirror, I know I'm not 20. And when I get up in the morning and that sound comes out when I get out of bed, I know I'm not 20. But, uh, you know, I look back and yeah, there's been a lot of water that has run under my bridge. And uh, I just realize, and no offense to you 20-year-olds, because I'm sure you're much better informed than I was when I was in my 20s, but I realize now that there's a whole lot of stuff I did not know when I was in my 20s. And one thing especially that my wife and I did not know is that you really don't travel in the Caribbean in the fall because you might wind up in a hurricane. Nobody told us that. There was no Google to find that out, okay? Yes, I am that old. There was, you know, there was nowhere to go on the internet to find that out. And um So, you know, uh, my wife uh, and I um, got married in September, and you know the busyness of preparing the whole year leading up to that, and we were looking forward to this nice beach vacation where we were just gonna bask in the sun and eat and enjoy uh, what had just happened. And uh, around four or five days into our trip, uh, we started getting wind of a fact that a hurricane might be coming. And the locals who were working at the resort we were at were saying, look, don't worry about it. A hurricane hasn't hit Jamaica in 50 years. Sure, until the Lombardies showed up in Jamaica. The next day, we knew that this was getting real when we saw the locals getting worried and even disappearing early afternoon to go check on their homes and kind of secure everything down. The next morning... We realized that uh, all our friends from the US, from Australia, from England, uh, from, you know, they were gone. Their countries had sent planes to take them off the island. Canada did not send a plane to take us off the island. So we were stuck. And I remember that afternoon as the storm took a direct hit onto. Jamaica, uh, we were kind of hanging out. We were on the second floor of where we were staying and watching the wind coming in and the palm trees swaying until the tops of the palm trees started breaking off. And we kind of thought, well, maybe we should go inside. So we shut ourselves in and uh, just heard the roaring of the wind outside and kind of hunkered down, uh, scared really, and then right around supper time it's like somebody flicked a switch and the whole thing stopped. The whole, I don't There's a different cue. Sorry. That's for later. Anyways, it's like somebody s- flipped the switch and the whole thing stopped. And Jen and I went down and realized that they were preparing supper for us during all this turmoil. So we kind of thought, okay, well, if that's the worst of it, that's okay, right? I mean, okay, a little bit of wind, so a little bit of damage, whatever. So we went in, ate, came out, and even the sun appeared for a moment. And then I saw a plane flying uh, up above us, and I thought to myself, what would, a, what would a plane, who would be crazy enough to fly a plane in, in a storm? And then I start thinking of hurricanes, and there's an eye where things get calm, and I remember saying to Jen, Jen, I think that there's more to come, and no word of a lie, just after having had that conversation, it's like somebody turned the switch back on. Okay, nothing helping. Somebody turned the switch back on, and it just came back in full force, harder than ever. Uh, we had to move to another room because the roof was damaged where we were, and it just went all through the night. There's a lot of anxiety and therapy that we needed after all of that. But I remember going back to our room during uh, this whole ordeal and the people in the hotel had left on our bed a little dollar store flashlight and a couple of candles. Now, we just laughed i mean what is this gonna do against the cat what we learned was a category five hurricane i mean you just can't battle that kind of force with just a little flashlight and a couple of candles now i asked i asked the tech team to try and kill the lights in here so Guys, if you could kill all the lights, I know you can't shut these lights up here, but just kill even, even the auditorium lights. Kill it. Try and get it as dark as we can. Can you do that for me? Yes, maybe, no? But this is what we had. We had a flashlight that was at, going to do absolutely nothing to help us during that hurricane. And in retrospect, having gone into Galatians and seen what Paul is saying, what I realize is that this is what we try to do with evil. We try to battle evil with our own little flashlight. And guess what? It's like trying to go after a Category 5 hurricane with a flashlight and a couple of candles. It just doesn't work. The storm is insanely too strong. And our problem really is this. Our problem is, is that we try to battle evil on our own. And evil messes us up. It messes us up. We could spend a whole week just listening to each other's stories about how evil messes us up. And the reality is here, in this series, that once we're done with Galatians, the clarity will be that only God and only he and only they, the Trinity, can free us from evil. Let's talk a little bit about what evil has done. What has evil done to us? Well, you see, we were created to be in this open relationship with God. We know this because we read the first few pages of the Bible. And it gives us a story, an ancient story, a story that's so old that uh, even some of the reference points get tricky when we try to understand that. But the reality is, is that Man and woman were in relationship with God, and there was nothing that threatened that relationship. That idyllic relationship in openness with God, as we had fellowship with Him in His protection, was robbed from us. We were robbed of this wonderful relationship, this closeness, this intimacy with God evil entered this existence and it deceived us it played a number on us it created a deception it distorted who god was for us you see god didn't change in the creation story and the story of the fall but we did our impression did our view of him did because of what evil caused us to believe And that distortion gets carried on in our lives. It's the story of the human race in its fallenness. We understand that story. A lot of history books are written about who did wrong to whom and who conquered whom and who killed whom. It populates a lot of our history. And the fact is is that we're perpetually trying to restore ourselves to a better place because you see there's faint vestiges of remembering that we were at a better place but we don't know exactly where that was. There's an inkling in the human race of a little bit of good that we know comes from somewhere but we quite can't make the connections, you see. So we're trying in some senses to get ourselves back to an ideal existence. We're trying to be good enough in our distorted view of God to get him to like us, get him to love us. We create unrealistic expectations over how we should relate to God that actually end up becoming unrealistic expectations of each other. We hold each other to these ridiculous ideals, you see. We invent impossible systems to try and prop ourselves up so that what happens is that we set up impossible pathways for each other. And in a sense, we're far, far too distorted even to know how to get each other on track. And in this false image of God who we try to appease, of which evil has duped us in, creates these false images of ourselves and we try to mask these broken images to become more acceptable. Frederick Biekner, a writer, a pastor, in his book titled Telling Secrets, he writes this about our plight. The world sets into making us into what the world would like us to be. And because we have to survive after all, we try to make ourselves into something that we hope the world will like better. Than it apparently did the selves we originally were. That is the story of all our lives, and in the process of living out that story, the original shimmering self gets buried so deep that most of us end up hardly living out of it at all. Instead, we live out all the other selves which we are constantly putting on and taking off like coats and hats against the world's weather. We're broken. We're stuck. We can't get out of our confusion and our own darkness. And what we need, which is what Paul introduces to us in this Galatian letter, is that we need Jesus. And look at what Paul says about what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, the Son of God, the divine second person of the Trinity, enters our very distorted existence. He comes in and becomes one with us in our brokenness. Look at what Paul writes in verses three and four of Galatians. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself over to our fallen human existence so that, we, so that he could rescue us from this present evil age, who gave himself over. Now, some of your translations, if you're following along, says who gave himself over to our sins. And that's just a a very basic word-for-word translation. But when we see the intent of what Paul means here, in my book I offer another translation here, and it is he gave himself over by entering our brokenness our sinful humanity, our broken, darkened humanity. The light came and shone in the darkness. The Apostle John writes it this way in his gospel. In him was life, and that life was the light of humanity, our rescue. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And here's the reality about the biblical story, which becomes our story is that there has been a light from the beginning of creation, of God's presence in our world, that evil has not been able to snuff out. And we believe far too much, even though evil comes at us as a force of a hurricane, the hurricane does eventually stop. And people are actually eventually able to rebuild. And this light of God through history has been consistent. Evil cannot overcome it. Evil cannot snuff it out. And when Jesus appears, it becomes a light to us that guides us back to God. And by coming and entering our distorted existence, he rescues us out of it. Man, did Jen and I ever wish Canada sent a plane to rescue us off that island. We would have avoided all the pain, all the suffering we went through, all the insecurity, all the fear, all the danger. Look at what Paul says in verses 3 and 4 again grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself over to our fallen humanity so that he could rescue us from this age which is evil, which is the way Paul puts it in the word order there. Rescue us from this age. Rescue us from our present condition. Rescue us from our turmoil, our darkness. And Paul says this is the Father's desire. It's not that he unwillingly comes. It's not like he begrudges the fact that we need him. It's not like he's this lonely figure who doesn't want to be bothered, and now he's bothered, and he's going to come angry and upset. Paul says, no, it's his desire. This is what he wanted. His love, his depth of love for us was such that he wanted to do this for us. My first car of which I was so incredibly proud of, was a 1979 yellow four-door Pontiac Acadian. Okay? It had a racing stripe down each side. It was awesome. It was my car. It was four-speed on the floor. And uh, I thought I was really living with that car. And uh, I remember... uh, I would keep it clean and every chance I get, I would get any spot of dirt off of that car. And I remember one Saturday, it was about summertime, and I decided to take it through a car wash. And as I'm taking it through a car wash, um, I come out of the car wash and I just see a lot of steam coming out of the front of the hood. And I kind of thought, well, this is unusual. I've done car washes before. I haven't had this degree of, uh, of steam coming out. So I thought, well, maybe I should take a look under the hood. So I take a look under the hood and when I do, there's stuff spraying all over the place. So I thought, I should shut this thing down. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? Well, I called the one person who I knew would know what to do. I called my dad. It was a Saturday. He wasn't working for some reason. He always works Saturdays, but for this Saturday, for some reason, he was home. And He says, oh, Looch, what's wrong? And I said, Dad, here's what happened. He said, stay there. I'm coming. That's it. And I hung up the phone. And 10 minutes or so passed by, and I see him bounding in in his big four-door Chevelle. And he comes in, parks beside me. In his hand, he's got screwdrivers, clamps, and hoses. And he comes in there, and we put the hood up of the front end. And we're both looking in there, and he just gets to work he cuts out the piece of hose that obviously had a hole in it because that's where he saw it coming out he put in a new piece of hose and he put some clamps in there and tightened them up and all that and like in five minutes he said, okay, Luch, turn the car on so I get in the car, turn it on no spraying, no leaking my dad didn't say on the phone "Luch, good luck man, I'm not coming this is my day off I don't want to come and help you no he was more than eager to come and help me. In fact, to come and save me, really. Because, I mean, I would have walked home, really, if, if he couldn't come and help me. And you see, that's the difference between us and God. When we get up under the hood of our mess, and we don't know how to fix it, he gets under the hood with us. And the difference between him and you and I is that he knows what to do. And not only does he know what to do, he does it gladly. He does it with pleasure. He does it because he wants to. And there's too many of us trying to make deals with God because we don't see him as a loving father who has always wanted to shine the light in our lives always wanted to be there to rescue us. We see him uh, angry. We see him uh, disgusted. We might see him um, as distant. And so we try to make deals with him. We try to convince him. When he already loves us. When he already is ready. When we call to come in and get under the hood. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're experiencing personally. I know, having lived as long as I have lived, that evil tries to mess us up. But I also know that when I try to take things into my own hands, it quite doesn't work so well. But when I give it over to God when I let him in, when I let him do what he wants to do, it just seems to go so much better. He's there to help. He's there to be there for us. So the reality here is then, why is it so hard sometimes for us to let Jesus come in and look under the hood with us? Why do we struggle with that? There seems to be a tendency for us to take the gospel, which Paul just outlined very clearly, that's the good news. Jesus came into our fallen human existence so that in that existence he might rescue us. The word there is ransom. He might free us from whatever is clutching us, whatever is keeping us at a distance, whatever has taken us captive. He is there to free. That's the good news. But our tendency is to distort it. And we distort it by getting in the way. And there are some ways that we get in the way. Sometimes we pretend that we're impervious to evil. Any good news that puts its administration into the hands of people distorts the intent of what Paul writes about here. Those that say, I'm no longer subject to evil, I've kind of mastered the way of living. I've kind of mastered the path, you know, to uh, being distant from evil ever getting a hold of me. I remember doing those final days of our trip in Jamaica. uh, Those of us that were left in the uh, resort kind of hung around and, and stuck close because... Uh, There was uh, looting and rioting in the town that we were close to. And uh, they told us in no uncertain terms, the locals said, look, don't leave this compound. They had guards that they had hired to guard us uh, around the uh, compound. But one individual, one fellow from uh, New York, who was there with his wife and child, um, after we had eaten, he decided on his own to walk over to the next resort because he needed to get some cigarettes. I remember him coming back looking white as a ghost. More like, what happened? And he was literally trembling as he was telling us. I just got held up at machete point with a machete held to my throat. I gave them everything I had. I just think of that often. Of the times where we Don't use our heads. And we think evil can't hurt us. Evil can't attack us. And we get held up by evil. We get taken by surprise. We get incredibly afraid. Make no mistake. Evil is trying to undermine whatever God has created in us. And our resolve is to stay close to Jesus. Our resolve is to be close to Him. You know, the difference in the Bible between the righteous and the wicked is just linear and proximity to God. Biblically, if you're righteous, you're living very close to God. Biblically, if you're wicked, you're living very distant from God. But here's the thing that the Bible makes it so clear whether you're righteous or you're wicked, you're still in the sphere of God's influence. And even in those moments where we're impervious or we don't realize what evil is doing, and it does a number on us, God is there. Don't ever pretend God is never there. God is there, present, wanting, desiring to help us. The next way that we distort things is that we act like we have all the answers. In fact, we go as far as speaking for others. We do this silly thing at home with our dog. We pretend our dog has a voice and that he says stuff when he's looking at us. Right? You ever see a dog look at you? I mean, what's going on in their head, right? Well, we actually say what the dog is saying. Right? How do we know what the dog is saying? Right? The dog may just be looking up and not thinking anything. Right? And we put these words into the dog's head and mouth, and all of a sudden the dog has a personality that might not even be the dog. Sometimes we kid ourselves that, you know, he probably doesn't even sound like that. You know, he's Australian, so maybe he has an Australian accent. Isn't it ridiculous? Like that. So as pathetic as that is, right? Because we're dog lovers. That's how pathetic it gets when we think we have all the answers and we know what everybody's thinking and we know what everybody's problem is. And you see, those that come to the Galatian community, after Paul has established these Christian communities, these ultra-Jewish Christian leaders come to Galatians And they pretend that Paul had missed something very crucial that they're going to tell the Galatians what they need to do. And it's always this. And here's the subtlety of what evil always does to us. And this is when you know evil has us right where it wants us. The subtlety is always that they're thinking that you've got the answers to the dilemmas that are there, that are present, and it's always Jesus, but it's always something else and Jesus. Jesus and. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's a fictional account of a senior devil mentoring a junior devil. And at one point in the conversation, between these two entities, the senior devil says to the junior devil, look, you're just working too hard on your Christian to try and get him to not believe because that's not going to work. You're never ever going to get the Christian to not believe in Jesus. You've got to be more subtle than that. In fact, it's quite easy. And when you can plant it, you've got them. You don't need to convince them that Christianity isn't true. You just need to convince them that it's Christianity and something else. Christianity and pop psychology. Christianity and philosophy. Christianity and wealth management. And once you get them to believe that, you've got them. Paul says in chapter 1, verses 9, if anyone announces to you another good news than what you received. Now, these are pretty strong words. Let them be condemned. Those are strong words, right? They're strong words for a pastor. Paul, do you really, really mean that? If somebody presents to us another good news, which is not the good news, are you saying what I think you're saying? Are you saying they shouldn't even exist? They shouldn't even be a part of the community? They, they should be out. You know what? Paul says it twice in case we didn't catch it. He writes it twice in the letter. Look, let me say it again. If anyone presents to you a good news that is not the good news, let him be anathema is his word he uses. Those are strong words. But you see, they're strong words because when we don't speak the good news of Jesus' deliverance of us from evil, when we pretend that we can add things to it like these ultra-Christian Jews are going to do in this letter that Paul's going to combat, where, but, but you have to follow the law to the letter, say these ultra-Christian Jews, along with following Jesus. Well, now you've just distorted the gospel and you make it no gospel to people and you basically are condemning them, putting their eternal existence in jeopardy because of it. People, we need to come to our senses. That our desire to add to what Jesus has done for us is like trying to battle a Category 5 hurricane with a small dollar store flashlight and a couple of candles. It just doesn't hold. It will not protect. It will not keep evil at bay. And here's another thing that becomes incredibly important. It's never God who brings the storm. Do you realize in the Gospels that Jesus is never churning up the storm in the Sea of Galilee? It just comes on its own. But he's the one that tells the storm to shut up. He's the one who tells the storm to stay still. God doesn't bring the storm. (laughs) And I don't know what kind of theology that is, but it betrays who God is, as we've seen him revealed in Jesus to us. But God is there with you in the storm. And we can tap him on the shoulder and say to him, things are getting out of hand. Lord, we need help. Lord, I just can't do this on my own. Lord, I need you to intervene. And up stands the Lord, and he says no to the storm. No to evil in our lives. Well, this series on Galatians on what it means to be truly free is about getting free of our ways of getting God to do what we think he should do or needs to do and just letting God do what he always has wanted to do and that is free us. Free us from the hold of evil. I hope that when we're done you will walk away and feel free from evil taking advantage of you from evil playing a number on you. I I hope it just creates more closeness, more intimacy for you and God. I hope you get free of those distorted images of who God is and then our distorted ways of trying to relate to him. I hope you and me learn more about living free in relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit free to be in relationship with each other as our true human selves our free selves because paul will say it is for freedom after all that christ has set us free let's pray father you know every heart here today you know every concern you know every worry you know what each one is going through you know the what plagues every family You know the onslaught of evil on your community, Lord. I pray, God, that in this series, starting today, that we realize, Lord, that your desire, your intent, your goal, your mission has always been to free us from evil. And that, God, we might lay down our ways, put them aside, And let you, Lord, enter our very existence and do what you know to do for us. Lord, bless our time together in this letter. May it bless us. May it encourage us. And most of all, may it free us. Amen.